everyone. Welcome. This is Discussing Who. I am Kyle Jones, and this is episode number 151. And I am very happy to welcome back the two gentlemen who, in episode 150, or at the end of 150, I said, inspire me each and every week. And who are those two people? Let's start with Lee Shackelford. Lee, how are you? I am well, sir, and it's um, honored to be someone who inspires you, if that's true. Well, that is, well, hey, come on uh, yeah, now, certainly, it's true. Certainly the, it is, and certainly the feeling is mutual. Well, welcome back. So by the time this goes out, as regarding relativity, something major will have happened. And what might that be? Yeah, by the time your people are hearing this, I will have released the stunning season finale of my radio drama serial, Relativity. It's basically, th- this episode is basically one long conversation between me and Clarence and um, Elena Jordan. So uh, who is Clarence anyway? Who is this guy? I don't know, but I am inspired by that name for some reason. Maybe because yeah. I said that name inspired me and the person behind it. So let's ask the person. Clarence Brown, how are you? No, it's not Clarence. It's uh, Marcus Dupree, Data Specialist 1. Uh, there you go. That right. He's got it. <laughs> No, but uh, hello, um, Doctor Who fans out there listening. Uh, Glad to have you guys listening and glad to be on another podcast. Absolutely. So this is about Doctor Who, despite all that other stuff. (laughs) Yes, it is. We are here to talk about that. (laughs) But before we get into Doctor Who, Mr. Brown, what have you been up to? Oh, man, nothing much. Just uh, enjoying the season two finale of Star Trek Discovery and talking all about it on our other podcast, Discussing Trek. So, you know, I'm doing pretty well, man. And, you know, Game of Thrones is back as well as uh, a few other series. So, yeah, I'm enjoying all of television. Yes, indeed. And we will be enjoying all of moviedom as we get into the end game of Avengers. Uh, probably by the time this goes out, I know you may not have seen it yet, Clarence, but I will have probably seen Avengers Endgame. So can't wait. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I'm actually going at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time uh, Thursday because I do not want the chance of being spoiled. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Says the man who, you know, was kind of smug that people were angry by their favorite characters being snapped because he knows it all. <laughs> <laughs> and he laughs maniacally. <laughs> well, and just remember that Doctor Strange has already seen it uh, 16 million times or whatever it is. So, uh, <laughs> he, uh, and, and he hasn't spoiled it. No, he hasn't. And you know what? He's that's, a good guy. Uh, that's interesting that you said that kind of segueing into Doctor <laughs> Who related. It yeah. reminds me of a Doctor Who episode where he did something millions and billions of times. Uh, that's right. Yeah. So, the great and wonderful Peter Capaldi. Yes. Yeah. So before we get into what we are reviewing tonight, I want to do a little bit of a programming note. Previously, on a couple of episodes back, I made an announcement that we would be going to Hulanta like we've done for the past two years and attended, you know, Hulanta and Hulanta, Georgia. Uh, well, in Atlanta, Georgia, not Hulanta, but it becomes who it might as well call might it. as well be sure yeah but for this year unfortunately scheduling conflicts have made it so that we're we won't be able to bring discussing who back to Hulanta. but that being said the people who are behind 
Hulanta, Alan Seiler, and the entire crew. We wish them absolutely nothing but the best for a successful Hulanta 2019. And if there was any way that we could change fate and be in two places at one time, trust us, we would be there because this, unfortunately, at this time looks to be the last Hulanta. And kind of makes me sad that it's the yeah. last Atlanta. Wait, oh, wait, what? absolutely. What? Did I miss oh. this news? When it? Yes. Oh, the... Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yes. Yes. I'm sad. I'm very sad. Conventions are hard to run. It's, you know, it's just, it's kind of a miracle that any of them ever take off and fly. But, um, uh, uh, Timegate and Hulanta have had a good long run. Yes. Um, 14 years. And, yeah. From my understanding, it is the last Hulanta last with an asterisk because it could come back. It looks like one of the major planners that has been helping Alan has something else that he or she wants to do. I think something to attend college or something's going on that they're, they, A, need a break after 14 years and B, there are some other things that they're wanting to do, and rightfully so, because it doesn't just happen overnight, you know. So I definitely understand that. So for Hulanta 2019, I hope it is an absolutely fantastic event. And for Alan Seiler and that group, you guys made Discussing Who a part of your family, and we appreciate that. This is when the three of us met and Hulanta will always have a special, special place for discussing who. So kudos to the Hulanta group. No kidding. Yeah. So now do we suppose our friend uh, Nicole will be there? Nicole will be there. And okay. speaking of Nicole, uh, mm. Nicole was going to join us tonight, but she also yeah. had a scheduling conflict. Yeah. But she sent me a note on Facebook and said, have fun without her. But we, we, we will have some fun, mm. but just not as much fun without her. <laughs> because well, one of the things we're talking about tonight is Roger Ogato's master. And I know that she uh, and I are both big fans. So, um, yeah. So, so, Nicole, this one's for you. Bingo. So does anybody have anything else before we get into the actual review? I really don't. I'm not. I I, I always wonder if I'm overlooking something obvious in the Whovian world, but I just don't know of anything that's going on right now. Mm. Clarence? Do you? Clarence, do you? Um, I do not. But a quick question. uh, Do we have any clue when the next season will start yet? Mm. Yeah, good question. A good question. And yeah. the last I heard was it would be early 2020. So I'm thinking, I'm going to make a speculation that we might get <laughs> January a, 1st. Yes. I th- <laughs> I'm thinking we might get a January 1st episode and maybe it would start m- maybe in March. That, mm-hmm. that's my thought. I'm thinking we will have a spring season, but we will have a, January the first episode to kind of tide you over and then we'll have a full season of, I guess, 10 episodes in the spring. Yeah. Cause I haven't heard many production, um, spoilers, leaks coming out yet. No. So, um, you know, I'm excited. Yeah. Me <laughs> yeah. too. 
Me too. Yeah, I, I love that they've kept such a lid on it. So it's great. And it's interesting, you know, that you guys brought that up because it's mm. almost like Doctor Who has just kind of fallen out of public consciousness to some degree. Yeah, and I'm sure the Beeb doesn't want that. Uh, <laughs> but, but, it, but, it, but, it, but it's happening. If we're saying, I don't know, have you heard anything? <laughs> yeah. You know, the, you know, it seems like we get more from, say, um, the comics. You know, the comics are still going from um, um, Titan Comics. And then, of yep. course, if it weren't for Big Finish, I mean, Big Finish is putting stuff out left, right, and center. That's right. Yeah. But that's why we have a 50 something year catalog of stories to fall back on. Exactly. Yeah. So we can go talk about this one. Absolutely. Well, I will say one other thing of a programming note for anyone who is in Mississippi. If you are in Mississippi and you are around Tupelo, Mississippi, Clarence and I will be at Tupelo Con. That is the 4th and 5th of May. And we will have a Doctor Who panel uh, while we're there. Don't know the exact date yet of the panel, but um, check us out on social media at facebook.com slash discussing who. And as soon as I know when that will be, I will definitely post that. So de- definitely looking forward to that. Groovy. All right. Yeah, I wish I was going to be there with you because – uh it sounds like it's going to be fun. Well, um, you know what we should do? Actually, um, on episode 150, the guys that I was talking with actually gave me an idea. We just would have to figure out how to make sure we have a good internet connection, but mm-hmm. we are to Skype you in on a future, uh, panel that we do. We know it can be done. We know it can be. Hey, if they could do it in 2008 at uh, whatever convention Podshock was at, we can do it in 2019 or 2020. Exactly. All right. So what do you say, guys? Are you ready to get into the review? Dig it, man. Let's do it. All right. So on this episode, we will be reviewing Terror of the Autons. If you have not seen Terror of the Autons and you do not want to be spoiled, put us on pause. Go watch the episode. Come back because from this moment forward, spoilers. 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 What is a nesting? A Nestine is a ruthlessly aggressive, intelligent alien life form. The Nestines can put life into anything made of plastic. An old acquaintance arrived on this planet. Who the heck are you? I am usually referred to as the master. I'm your new assistant. Oh, no. Josephine Grant. Report from one of our field sections, sir, Captain Yates. Some kind of sabotage at a radio telescope. Yeah. Two of their scientists have disappeared. Something was stolen from the National Space Museum. It was on loan from this HQ. Well, that's the Nestine's energy unit. It should never have left this building. The Master has learnt a great deal since you last met him. I refuse to be worried by a renegade like the Master. Death is always more frightening when it strikes invisibly. Alrighty, the spoiler warning has gone out, and we are back to review Terror of the Autons. 
This is the first serial in the eighth season of the British television program we all know as Doctor Who. It was first broadcast in four weekly parts on BBC One from the 2nd to the 23rd of January, 1971. The story served as an introduction of Katie Manning as Joe Grant, Richard Franklin as Mike Yates, and of course, Roger Delgado as the Master. So initial thoughts, and Clarence, I'm going to throw this one to you first. What say mm, ye? Initial yeah. thoughts. <laughs> well, um, uh, it's amazing how color, as far as production, it being in color, can make it feel a lot more modern as compared to some of the other stuff we've looked at. Um, I felt I enjoyed this story more than The Three Doctors. Um, and it may be because, uh, in the three doctors, it doesn't feel like a normal episode. You know, it feels more like a, this special event. So I did enjoy that this kind of fell within a normal episode feel, uh, seeing the master, there are so many similarities and rightfully so to what we see from, uh, the future iterations. And I really enjoyed that my control. Um, yeah, I, I think. I'm not going to say I love the episode, but I found it somewhat enjoyable. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> so, I don't know. <laughs> cool. All right. Lee Shackelford, what say you? I, I guess I'd say the same thing, and, and uh, I'm a big fan of this era. And, of course, this is a script written by Robert Holmes, who is my favorite classic era Doctor Who writer. He wrote Brain of Morbius and uh, The Talons of Wing Chiang, which are my two favorite classic serials. So, uh, this is not one that I go back and revisit often. Um, but yeah, I would certainly say it's, I found it enjoyable. It's, uh, it's, uh, a, a great, uh, sampling of classic who. So uh, what about you? What? Hmm. So I also enjoyed it. The, I had forgotten that it was the introduction of, um, Katie Manning as well. That was cool. I enjoyed the, Comparison I was able to do, you know, coming off of John Sims master and then going back and seeing this master, you know, it, it kind of was like what Clarence was saying, going and looking at it and seeing the comparison and making comparison. That was, that was fun. It was also interesting to see the special effects or lack thereof. And kind of put me in the perspective of, wow, things have really come a long way. <laughs> but I enjoyed it. I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, so I, I really did enjoy it. So let's talk yeah. about the production value for a minute. This was 1971. So, you know, I want to mention something about the score, the musical score. Did any of you pay attention or did either of you since there's only three of us tonight did either of you pay attention to the musical score and if so what were your thoughts always um this is um during that time where we had a theme and we had some we had some incidental music that was uh was that is that dudley simpson who's doing the incidental i believe so yes yes it is um and and a lot of it is just sort of standard a radio or TV stings a dun dun dun, you know, do 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 do, bum bum bum, you know that kind of stuff. Mm. What about but you, Clarence? Uh, I think it's uh, all no, appropriate. Yeah. Well, all right, Clarence. What about you? 
I'll agree because because I didn't really feel like it was I didn't notice it as much. But me thinking back to what what I actually, you know, listened to, it felt it felt very much of that time. You know, it it I can see the sound of it falling directly into other shows that may have may have come out around the time action shows, you know. So I, I I don't know. It really didn't jump out at me as much, though, for some reason. What about you? So here's why I asked that question, because it was sort of like a leading question. And, and I ask it for a specific reason. To, since we've been comparing, you know, Murray Gold left, Aganola came in, and I keep mm. comparing the two of them. I find any time I've watched something now, especially Doctor Who, I'm listening to the music, and I I found not really paying attention to the music itself, but it was almost like I was thinking, and with me being hearing impaired, this is saying a lot. I thought the music kind of was loud at some points, you know, like some of this incidental when they're Mm -hmm. moving around and something. I was Mm -hmm. like, was that just a little bit too loud? Mm. Uh, Yeah. um, Yeah, I, I. I think that struck me too. It's funny. I've just been listening to a, a radio show from um, the forties in which the balance is way off. The music is absolutely drowning out the voice actor. And so I, I was wondering if I was confusing it with that, but, um, but you're right. Um, and this really was a thing I think throughout the seventies is that sometimes the, that music does come out and go bum, 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 and reach out of your uh, TV set and grab you. It's um, yeah. I noticed that more, I think in the early seventies in the Pertwee era and maybe mm-hmm, at Tom right. Baker's maybe first season, but after that it kind of started toning down and it yeah. wasn't in scenes where they were having, you know, like a conversation. It was more so I'm outside and I'm climbing up a ladder or I'm doing this and you've got this really loud music going on. Right. So. Trying to evoke emotion. Maybe so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or to force emotion, in fact. Yeah. yeah. Or could it be that they did not have the technology to buffer out uh maybe the sounds of somebody climbing up a ladder? So they they raised the incidental music to cover clank, 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 clank going up mm. a ladder. Well, it's easy to take a sound out, but I don't know. But, but it, we, there is a, a, an infinite amount of finesse that's possible now with, uh, uh, audio control for, for television and film that, that just didn't. I mean, in 1971, it was stone knives and bearskins. So, <laughs> uh, I think, yeah. uh, all right. So let's move into, let's talk about the master himself. So the episode begins. With the master materializing in a blue vehicle, nonetheless. Mm-hmm. And yeah. <laughs> we see the master from the very beginning. So mm-hmm. Clarence, I have a question for you. I want to pose this one to you first. Was this your first time seeing the original master in a serial or in a story? I think we saw him in the five doctors, didn't we? Mm. That was Ainley. Yeah, that was, uh, but, but yeah, uh, still playing the same character, but yeah, that was Anthony Ainley. Yeah. So this is, was this your first Roger Delgado? Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry. I didn't understand the question. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is my first uh, Roger Delgado, uh, master. Um, I really enjoyed him. I felt like, again, like when we talk about what we've seen going forward, you can see a lot of those, um, 
a lot of story writing for the things that he has in the later series maybe originating in here. And I think maybe the one that jumped out to me the most was how much he uses mind control and how it it seems like it's something that's central to his character. And and going back to the series um, that we just reviewed, uh, it makes it makes it gives that a little bit more resonance. You know, because he's using the sky with the Skynet system to to kind of send this sort of mind control telepathic yeah, huh? thing across the, the world. And, you know, you kind of see it originate here. You know, he's had it all along. This is something that's core to his character. And I never really got that from New Who. I didn't really, really get that it was core to his character. But, uh, you know, again, here it feels like it's very much a part of him. Mm. And you know, yeah, it's so- fantastic that that really struck me watching this this time too. I thought, holy smoke, there it is from the very beginning. I, I yeah, so I thought the same thing, but Clarence. I thought, wow, and and forty years later, he's still he's still doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you know what's really interesting is on another but similar note, one of the things that I did not like about the uh, Last of the Time Lords, which was you know many shrunken down uh david Tennant doctor right uh that was my big complaint i thought of many shrunken down david Tennant doctor when he many shrunk down one of the people that he killed yes yeah well yeah. and that was we were reviewing that that was um uh, that was one of Nicole's points that I, I wanted to echo too. Is she she said whatever happened to the tissue compression gun? Because throughout the the classic series, that's his weapon of choice, and you always find these hideous dolls uh, that you are that w- people then realize with horror that used to be somebody. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah this, this little six inch thing is like oh okay. So is she and I were both wondering why didn't. The, the master do that to the doctor and in some hideous way, he's still alive. You know, that, that, I think I would have preferred that to Gollum doctor, but I, 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 I don't anyway. But yeah, let, let's not get back into that. We're talking about terror of the autopsy. <laughs> so Lee, I have a question for you and you've often said kind of piggybacking off of what you've already said in this episode. You've mentioned that Delgado's incarnation is, oh, even after all of these years, seeing all these other incarnations of the master, he stands apart as your favorite. Why? And, and uh, I realized Terror of the Autons, watching this again, gave me a lot of time to think about that because I, I do stand by that. And I think a lot of it is the script, but a lot of it is uh, Delgado's performance as well. So it's the synthesis of those things. Robert Holmes has him say that he and the doctor are equals, almost you know, the master acknowledges that the doctor is close to being his intellectual equal. And then we hear the doctor say that the master is close to being his intellectual equal. <laughs> and and you can see the look on jo- on Joe's face when the doctor says the master's problem is he's too conceited. And she's like, OK, <laughs> so they they really are twins. And uh, and I love how 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 confident Roger Delgado's master is, and the script allows him to be somebody who just walks into a situation expecting to win and uh, knowing that he is in he is in control and he's unflappable. And I, I find that very dangerous. 
somebody who you feel like has already got everything figured out and that you can't throw a curve at him. And, and that's what I'm unsettled by about the, the craziness of, of uh, John Sims doctor is that he seems like he's already off center. He's off. Uh, he's kind of off out of control, but I love the Delgado masters, uh, maddening sense of control. Uh, okay. That guy's become a problem. We'll have to do something about that. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. It, and so, so that's it to me, and and it's all here in this episode. Hmm. Clarence, what do you think? No, I mean, I totally agree. He's he's very calculated. Um, you, you know, he's uh, what Colonel Master, as they say in in this episode. <laughs> to me, he's setting up. He's going to lengths to to set this up or, or to set up his ultimate plot in 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 ways that you know. I was like, is it necessary for him to do that? But to me, it more so shows that he's very calculated in how he's trying to accomplish his goal. Um, and, and that's kind of how I feel in this episode. Now, as far as the zaniness, um, you, you know, I will admit I felt a bit of zaniness, but it's not from his portrayal of the character. It may be from some of the ways he ultimately you know, kill some people, which he is a killer. I mean, there's no difference here. He's he's still yeah. a killer here. Um, but you You're know, right? Even John Sim didn't kill anybody with a chair. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't. I, I I think maybe my worst one was the rope. The the rope. Um. You know. Oh, the, the, the telephone cord. Yeah. yeah. Oh, was it a telephone right. cord? Yeah, telephone. Yeah, it's yeah, plastic. Just, yeah, yeah, that was that was hilarious. <laughs> Freaking. Hilarious. Yes. But cool at the same time, you know, and, and again, like that, I don't think that reflects on the nature of the character in this iteration. I think it's more of maybe the special effects that we have for this time. Agreed. Agreed. So for me, with with this master, I wish that I could watch this and erase or block my memory while I was watching it that there is a master past this episode, you know, past this story because I watch him and I don't feel monster of the week. I don't feel bad guy of the week that we'll never see again. You know, from the moment the master walks in, I see someone that is written as a character that was intended to be around you know, that was going to be maintained going forward. And obviously that's what they did, you know, with his character, but he just did not come across as this one time fiend. It was just, here's the master. He's your arch enemy now. And you two are about to go at it. Mm -hmm. So, so you mean you could tell from this story that he's going to be in the, in the series from now on? I'm not sure. I mean, I, 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 I don't know if that's, Kyle in 2019, knowing that the master still exists, mm-hmm. or is that an, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm torn, but that's how yeah. I felt whenever I saw him was that there was something different about that Wait, character. Is this, this is not his first story, is it? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, wow. This okay. Is, this is that's different. We are meeting the master. Yeah. I didn't know that's that. That's really why we're doing this, right? But yes. Was, absolutely. Why we're doing this one. How could I not know that? That puts it in perspective. <laughs> Yes, wow. that, that, that was completely, um, why, I, why I wanted to do that one because I wanted to go back. We had just seen John Sim and I yeah. wanted to go back and see the first time. Hmm. I will admit seeing him, you mentioned the band slash 
uh, earlier, uh, his his iteration of the TARDIS, I guess. Yeah, of um, Yeah, I I I really like that because I think as a New Who person, you kind of forget that the TARDIS is really meant to shapeshift or change, mm-hmm. right? And yes, it this just, is a reminder. Yeah, it felt totally weird, and you know it makes sense, but like it just felt weird because we see that locked in version all the time and it's so iconic and i'm just like oh it's a it's a it's a van that makes sense <laughs> and he just walks mm-hmm. off so. i'll take you one step yeah. further there's more than one tardis you know what i'm saying oh yeah oh yeah just saying wow he's got one of those things yeah he's got yeah. one of those things too yeah that's right and if you've been watching the show since 1963 you've now seen that another time but i think only one other time yep and i know once which- again call Calling Dave Cooper. No, 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 no. Uh, Even though we did call in Dave Cooper for, you know, I'm giving him this episode off. He was physically (laughs) on uh, or voicefully on last episode. But uh, I can answer that one. That one was in the Mad Monk story where we saw another TARDIS. The Time Meddler, yeah. The Time Meddler. Um, And, um, yeah, with with a hilarious uh, uh, ending, actually. I've always thought that was one of the best uses of uh, the whole idea of the TARDIS. But unless I'm mistaken, we're not going to see it. Well, War Games, I believe. Games. Yes. Right. But it, yeah. at least there was a machine that sent the, the two companions, uh, Jamie and Zoe, along their way, right. if not a TARDIS. Which I've always assumed is what a TARDIS looks like when it doesn't have its chameleon circuit turned on. This is what it, quote, really looks like. Back then. Oh, back then, anyway. Yeah, yeah, that was my understanding. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, um, but sort of to echo Clarence's point, part of what I like about this, this serial, these, this four part story is that we begin by meeting the master and wow, he's a time lord and his TARDIS apparently works. He can do whatever he wants to with it. It's like, yeah. oh my God, this is not just an equal for the doctor, but he's here to kick the doctor's butt. And, oh, yeah. and then in the end, they've each got each other's disintegrator circuit. So <laughs> they're both marooned. And, um, so that's the doctor's, you know, little triumph there at the end. Um, and it does. I, I, I think you're right, Kyle. I think you, I think you can tell that this is even before we get to that moment that the master is here to stay <laughs> that this isn't a one-off character that I, yeah, hmm. something interesting to think about anyway. Indeed. So you said a character that is here to stay and coming off of our evaluation of how the doctor treated Martha Jones. I'm hmm. curious as to meeting Joe Grant and what you guys think of your your reactions, your thoughts to the doctor's reaction to meeting uh, Joe Grant. So, Clarence, initial mm. thoughts. What did you think? Okay, yo, so, so I was wondering, was this her introduction as well? Um, but I guess you just confirmed that. Um, yep. It did. It did feel like she was auditioning when she first walked in for him. Um, and my perspective was that I guess she known about who he was from unit or, or whatever is she or did she work for unit already i think she worked for unit already and she she knew about the doctor as well it seemed and it seems like she was just kind of auditioning for him she was trying to show off when she first came in so that, that's kind of the initial thought i have you know upon their introduction introduction to each other all right lee what did you think 
Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think she really wants this job. And, um, but I, I don't know if the brigadier has told her everything. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't know. Um, it's funny that I wasn't even thinking about that, but, um, yeah. but he, he does, the doctor immediately treats her with scorn and contempt, which as a big Joe Grant fan and looking back, you know, across the series, that surprised me. I'd forgotten about that. I'm like, Hey, 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 Hey. Yeah. <laughs> but- <laughs> now Lee, you've made a comment before, I think on one of our previous episodes, comparing Joe to Liz Shaw and specifically how you went from Liz being a scientist to Joe not being a scientist and Mm -hmm. that they had decided to go against the smarter companion. And I'm not saying that she was not smart in any way. Right. But more of the damsel in the distress, I should say. Am I yeah, accurate in and, that? Yeah, and and unfortunately, um, yeah, Joe will, as the series goes on, uh, turn out to be a, a real screamer, <laughs> and, and, yeah. she, and they do constantly put her in peril, and uh, the doctor has to come and save her. But um, and I understand that's a formula that works, and it, it's um, it's unfortunate looking back. But um, she's got. Um, she has qualities that I just think are are terrific, and it's just a it's just she's got pluck, she's got spirit, and she is smarter than people think she is. And um, I just love her her determination to do what's right, and and and, and she sort of anticipates other people's needs, and I, I really like that. And the brigadier clearly appreciates it. You know, she walks in the door saying, I found out about this and I also looked into this. Oh, and I thought, wouldn't it be good if we did this? And so I already did that. Yeah. 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 She she seems definitely like the type of character who's going to not wait around, you know, yeah. especially when she goes in and basically spies on the master. Yeah. <laughs> Which I was like, this is not going to end well. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Questionable. But yeah, but still, yeah. you got to admire her spirit. But yeah. yeah, she has gumption. <laughs> You know, when I was watching this and it, and I, I, I've seen this serial before, but it's been many, many, and I'm talking about many years since I've seen it. And I would bet based on what I was remembering that I've seen the episode of the Sarah Jane adventures where Joe comes back and makes a guest on Sarah Jane. That I, that episode for me, her conversation with the 11th doctor was the scene where I accepted the 11th doctor. Cause I mean, I, you know, you, you have that moment. We've all talked about it where when one doctor leaves and a new doctor comes in, you've got that time of, well, that's not my doctor anymore. Cause that's where I'm, yeah. where I'm at with the 13th. I'm still in that. Well, that's not the, you know, that's not the 12th doctor anymore. That's the, you know, that's not my doctor. But, um, yeah. her scene that she had with Matt Smith's 11th doctor that, and that conversation they had, she did such a fantastic job. And I was picturing that in my head thinking, wow, you, you have such an impact on doctor who yeah wait was that on the show proper like i don't no no no, no. it wasn't in doctor who doctor who oh. but it was in an episode it was, it of sarah, sarah jane. jane yeah yeah okay with the, 11th, with the 11th doctor and sarah and joe and of course sarah and joe are both um help me do the math 40 years older now yes, yes. the doctor isn't 
he's younger than ever. <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, I just always remember that his his response on seeing Joe is, "You look like somebody baked you." Oh. <laughs> just, and, and it just hits her and bounces right off. It's like, yep. I'm older now, you know, but there and is, she has been everywhere and seen everything. And she's raising this great kid. You know, you just get the feeling she's the former companion who, who, who survived, who really took off and flew. And, and uh, I just, and, and we've already given the spoiler warning, but, but I'll go ahead and uh, say for the sake of saying she is hurt by the fact that the doctor has come back several times uh, recently and has seen Sarah Jane. The 10th doctor has seen her multiple That's times right. and the yeah. 11th doctor yeah, is now seeing her. Yeah. And, and she says, well, you know, you never, you know, you never came back to see me. And then he was so, and Matt, this is the part where I say that Matt Smith won me over because there's something about his voice mannerisms that, that he does. And there's something about his physical mannerism that he does that it just seemed like he was channeling the third doctor. And he basically says something about, Oh, well, Joe, how could I ever find you? You've been doing this and you've been doing that and you've been here and you've been there and you did this and you did that. How could I ever find you? And then she looks at him and says, how did you know all of that? And then realizes He's been watching her all these years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's been checking up on her. Yeah. Yeah. But he didn't know her then. So let's go back to 1971. <laughs> he did not know her in 1971. And I just had a very stark contrast or look at he really wasn't that rude to Martha because he was equally as rude to Joe. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's just his way. <laughs> I guess we can accept that. Yeah. Because mm. I kind of thought he was rude to Joe. Am I wrong? No, he was. It's terrible. Mm. And, and then he's he's awful to the brigadier later, and she calls him out on it. And he says, uh, yeah, I'll apologize later if I have time. All right. So let's move on and let's talk about the bad guys of the uh, episode other than the master, which were the autons and the nesting consciousness any thoughts on the autons? Clarence, what do, what do you think? Um, I really love this because this is like one of those points, again, that like references to New Who. And I found myself like going back and forth, researching, trying to remember exactly what happened in Rose and and, and thinking about how the um, Benistine were portrayed, was portrayed in that episode, as well as the autons. And just seeing the differences over the years. Uh, and, and also looking up some of the few references I can see of other stories of, of where we've seen Alton. So I really loved that about this episode. I really loved it. Uh, and, and definitely we see some of the things that we see in the future here. I love the, I love the handgun. The handgun was great. Uh, it's awesome seeing the, the genesis <laughs> oh, of that. Literally, literally a handgun. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So another thing I couldn't understand, and you know, this is throwing back to you guys to to help me out. Um, he makes the references to the Nestine consciousness as if it had happened before. So I wonder, was that just a throwaway line to introduce introduce them in this episode, or introduce it in this episode, or had we actually seen that in a prior episode before this one? 
Mr. Shackelford, I'll let you take that one. Jawohl. Yeah, the 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 first uh, adventure of the third doctor, he's he's pitted with against the nesting consciousness. So uh, and fan mail was good on that. So that's that's really as far as I understand it. That's why they started off the next year of um, uh, the third doctor's adventures with him once again up against the nesting consciousness. So, mm. Yeah, we met them in Spearhead from Space, which was, in which he says specifically that they do not have physical forms. And then in this one, he says that they do. So <laughs> you figure it out. Yeah. He changed they make themselves mind. bodies when they need them. That's yes. Which that well, was right. also yeah. the first um, episode not to be broadcast in black and white. Spearhead exactly. from Space. Spearhead from again? Space. Spearhead right. from Space was the first non-black and white you know, yes. our in color episode. Really? Right. Yes. Yes. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. People all over Britain said, whoa, that box is blue. How about that? <laughs> oh, they knew what color a police box was. So I really like the fact that they went back in 2005 and brought back the Autons because after this serial, we do not see them again in Doctor Who until Rose in 2005. So this is the, uh, in Terror of the Autons is the last time we see the Autons or the nesting consciousness since then. I mean, you know, since this particular story, maybe because we had a chair. That ate a person <laughs> or smothered a person. Yeah. And people were killed by flowers and dolls. And okay, yeah, I, right. Mm. But yeah, it is. It's a long reach. They reached all the way back to 1971. So, so Mickey could be eaten by a trash can. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Yeah. And, you know, I, I have to think that RTD, who is, of course, a great fan of the classic series, that he, he had always wanted to bring back the Autons. And well, what, whatever happened to the Autons? Let's bring them back. So, yeah. So, so I, I, like, no, go ahead. I'm just going to like speaking of production too. Uh, and, you know, I feel that some of the things they did, you know, the telephone cord, the chair, um, they feel cheesy now, but I wonder how they felt then. And, and, well, and, and, and well, go ahead. <laughs> oh, well, uh, this, this may be a long discourse that, that interrupts your question, but, um, my understanding is that this is one of the episodes that, that brought down the wrath of uh, parent groups in Great Britain because they thought this was just too doggone scary what? for tea time. Yes. What? what the uh, little devil and, doll, maybe? And the po- yeah. Uh, they thought the – well, the idea that your doll might wake up at some point and murder you, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing you and I take in stride now. But in 1971 eh. – uh, and Robert Holmes himself, uh, I mean, his defense, I always like this. He said, I have a son who's 10 years old. I don't think he should be watching this. If your child is six, they shouldn't be watching this. This is for somebody who's older, you know? This yeah. is for somebody who's a little older who knows that your doll is not going to wake up and kill you. Uh, the, the, the phone cord can't can't really hurt you. But, you know, but but you're right. This isn't a show for – anyway, but but the, the particular problem was the autons who become policemen. That that was beyond the pale. <laughs> okay, so, there is something seriously wrong with me because I'm seeing these little kids freaking out over their thinking their dolls are going to come to life. It's like Chucky before Chucky. Well, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. exactly. This is just Chucky. Like, 
And the Twilight Zone uh, over here had had done uh, something similar. And uh, yeah, you know, the, the idea is genuinely scary if you've never thought about it before. But 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 seriously, the big deal was that they have the Autons become policemen, and um, apparently, you know, the the the, the peelers, the, <laughs> the the British police objected to this, and and you know. Or they were they talking to the BBC and saying, look, it's hard enough to get people to trust us as it is. People, <laughs> if, if people think that our hands are going to open up and we're going to shoot them, you know, uh, <laughs> when we don't carry guns, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're not helping our cause, here, Doctor Who, please. It's still a handgun, you. Lee. It's still a handgun. Hmm. That's right. <laughs> So let me uh, <laughs> so let me take it in another direction, if you don't mind. Could this have also been a social commentary, not necessarily on the doll coming to life, but the use of plastic in general? Well, Could my wife and I were just talking about this the other day that I really think that's what that's sort of what this episode's about. That the people the because you know the idea of Doctor Who who is always that it's a family show. It is the thing to watch at tea time with mom and dad. And the kids, and they're going to be there with mom and dad who are going to tell them, no, your doll is not going to wake up and kill you. You know, the phone cord is not going to strangle you to death. You know, mom and dad are there to remind you that this is just a show. The kids are behind the sofa. But mom and dad remember a time not too long ago in 1971 when everything was made of wood or paper or plastic or glass. It just really was. Things were made of bricks. Things were made of, you know, steels and Steel, you're right. And this, this post-war stuff, this plastic stuff, this is new in the world. And suddenly it seems like everything is made of plastic. And in some cases, that's good. And in some cases, it's like, wow, this used to be made of wood and it was a beautiful thing. And now it's made of plastic. The hell, you know? And I think that's a lot of what Robert Holmes is going for here is the plastic is awful. And, and, We were sort of had a dawning environmental awakening in the early 70s. I mean, this is really when the green movement begins. But now here in the 21st century, we're saying, ha ha, back then, Robert Holmes wrote this story where they said that plastic is going to kill us. Ha ha. Hey, guess what? Plastic is killing Killing us. us. Yes. Mm, Yeah, I'm I'm looking. I guess the first Earth Day was in 1970. Yeah. So see. And, and, and if you look at if and, this was and it's broadcast, April 23rd as we record, yeah. yes. And if and if this is <laughs> uh, you know um, 1971 when it was broadcast, it could have been conceived in the 70s. So yeah. you know, the 70 is the year. So well, there's a lot of of, of sort of uh, green movement things that will turn up in the show throughout the 70s. I mean, one of my favorite things is in. Um, um, the, the terror of the Zygons. It's always the terror off, right? But in the first Zygon stories, the brigadier is trying to get the doctor interested in what's going on because oil refineries are being brought down by some kind of a sea monster. And he says, this is an emergency. And the doctor says, yeah, I agree. You've made a, a whole economy that's, you know, dependent on a mineral sludge. You don't know how self-destructive and stupid that is. And the brigadier says, I'm talking about the oil refinery. <laughs> you know, the doctor says, oh, so am I, you know. But he's saying that's the emergency. You built a whole economy based on oil. <laughs> so, yeah. And again, you look back 40, 50 years later and go, yeah, they were right again. So I want to, um, you know, this is not a question that I had written down, but it just popped into my head based on our conversation right now. Clarence, did you miss having 
the TARDIS, even though you saw it, did you miss the concept of the doctor traveling in the TARDIS or do you think it was okay? Or did you even miss it? Um, I think maybe the TARDIS and I'm probably going to speak blasphemy here. Um, <laughs> to me, it's, although it's the mode of transportation in Dr. Who, and it is, you know, integral to the soul of Dr. Who to me, it's just a, um, a way to get around, a way to get from one set piece to another. I don't really see it as being that integral to the overall plot. So the fact that the master came to Earth, um, it kind of eliminated that from the beginning. So in that sense, I really didn't ever think I needed it. Uh, and even from the plot of the story, I don't really see where having it would have benefited it one way of the, or the other. Mm. So, so, you know, for this story, being stranded on Earth, I felt like it, 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 you didn't need it in, in, in at all. I, I'm no that, secret blasphemy. No, I actually agree with no, you. No, no. See, yeah, no, you see that, that would need to be a producer of the show during this time. <laughs> you, and Barry Lett. But no, this, this of course came from the BBC and they said they, they were cutting the budget down and said, we just, we just can't build a new planet every week anymore. So we're going to have this conventional, they'll have this idea that the doctor's been marooned on the earth and you can have any adventure you want as long as it's on the earth and that's the invent that's why the idea of unit and all those characters and so on and all these earthbound adventures but yeah no i'm with you i i feel like what we were learning was that you don't need necessarily the tardis to get you into a, a story um and and this is a this is a great evidence of it. You, you need somebody's yeah. TARDIS to start this story, <laughs> but maybe not the Doctor's. And I love yeah. the idea that he's always trying to fix it. You know, he, yeah. he he knows what he needs. He needs a working disintegration circuit. But um, and he comes so close on this episode to getting one. But uh, yeah. is it new model or model Ex- three or something? Exactly, it's, it's the Mark Two, and he's got the Mark One. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and we've all been there, right? We've all tried to put a. A chip on a motherboard that's not. <laughs> yeah, it just won't fit the socket. It just yeah. won't fit. Uh, it's not going to go. <laughs> but, but isn't that just a good example of challenging? I think a situation like this challenges the writer to be better. Whereas with the ability to go anywhere and everywhere and any when and anywhere, yeah. you know, you can say, okay, well, I don't know how to write historical drama, so I'm going to write an episode set in the far future on a different planet, and so be it. Yeah. Whereas this, you are challenged with a single location, but yet to come up with something interesting week after week after week, I think that would be much, much harder. Right. Yeah, and I, I think you guys were talking about this on episode 150. Uh, you brought in our friends over West, um, uh, Dave and, uh, Ian. Uh, but, but you were talking about how the show is different in different eras. And I feel like even though they have this constraint of having to be on Earth, I, I love the fact that it allows them to write a little bit differently. And although it might just be for this short time, we're going to be stuck here. We can have this, you know, small group of episodes that just feel distinct and different from other things, you know. So, and we, you, you, you guys related more in the sense of showrunners, but I do feel like, you know, having this constraint here, it does make it a bit different as you look back through the years. And, you know, you may like this more than you like him gallivanting around the universe, you know. So, yeah, different strokes. That's it. It's just something else. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah I've often heard this era 
referred to as, like you said, the unit, uh, having unit there, but also kind of like the James Bondish feel where mm-hmm. it was all about gadgets and, you know, um, more espionage type stories yep. as opposed to when Tom Baker comes back, it returns to the gallivanting through space and time. Mm-hmm. That's right. But it does. It really calls for something special to be able to tell interesting stories without being able to leap to another planet or go to another time in Earth's history or whatever. And, um, yeah, and I admire that about the, the, the James Bond era or the, the Earth exile <laughs> era or whatever. You know. The person connected to Doctor Who that I have spent the most time just talking with is Andrew Cartmel, who was the, uh, script, uh, the script editor, um, during, um, Sylvester McCoy's time. And, um, well, I was just at a convention where, as it happened, we just got to sit and talk for a long time. And I, I, I told him that I, I so admired the fact that he was able to make interesting stories during the time when the BBC had cut the show's budget to rock bottom. They had nothing except the standing sets and the people they had hired. And I said, that doesn't that just mean that you have to be smarter? You know, yeah. that you just have to think of different things. I thought he was going to cry when I said that to him, you know. He said, yes, it does. You know? <laughs> it's true. And so here's Robert Holmes and Barry Letts uh, making the best of this situation. And they, there's a circus in town that they can they can make a deal with. And so they, they bring the circus into the story. And uh, Yeah, we see a black guy. Has, <laughs> yes, indeed, actual, we did. Actual black person who who is, once again, kind of a giant thug. We, we've seen a couple of black guys in Doctor Who so far, and he's always a giant. You know. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I thought like. that too, right. Clarence. <laughs> and, and, and he doesn't say just anything. Like in the, yeah. No, he's just like the guy in Tomb of the Cybermen. Yes. He's the first, first black man in Doctor Who. It's, yeah. Oh, dear. Well, we've come a long way. Thank you, I, Ryan. I, I, exactly. I hope we're, we're, yeah, we're making up for lost time with Bill and Ryan and Martha. And, yeah. <laughs> so I know we have not talked much about the story story itself, mainly because I thought the characters – superseded the story to some degree. And that was why when I was making my notes, I wanted to talk more about Joe and the master and the yeah. doctor, because, you know, the, the, the story typically was the monster of the week, but I thought the master was more important than, than the, uh, autons themselves. That being said, did the, either of you have any notes of things you wanted to bring up before we make our final rating? I wanted to mention to do a shout out to uh, poor Rex, who is the uh, the junior uh, member of uh, owner of the uh, the plastic company, um, who's in this terrible situation that he gets mind controlled by the master, and he also has his father barking at him too. And um, you know, in the end, the last awful trick of the master is to have this guy. The master sends him out with a master mask on, and of course, the <laughs> yeah. unit guys just shoot him. Oh man! Thought, wow, what a what a terrible couple of days for this character, and it's Michael Wisher who will much later become one of the iconic characters of Doctor Who, Mister Jones. Help me! I don't remember Davros. Really? Stavros. Okay. Hmm. So interesting. Oh, yeah, I don't want to tell you wrong. Lee <laughs> leaning back towards IMDb here, but uh, isn't that right? Anyway, 
Uh, talk amongst yourselves. Okay, so while he's IMDBing, Clarence, did you have any other uh, notes that you wanted to cover? Yeah, I'm just go back to the special effects one more time. I felt like, you know, though it feels cheesy at times, I do think they were having a lot of fun with the production. And also, um, surprisingly, it felt like I saw a lot of green screen in this episode. Yes. Yeah, blue screen, yeah. But or yes. blue screen. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, just and, like, and it, go ahead. And it does call on them to make a troll doll that's about two feet tall <laughs> and then to make a human-sized suit that looks just like it yeah. so that an actor can get inside it. Yeah. Yes, yes. It's, you know, there are scenes where they're just like standing about and they've replaced the background with like this computer factory-looking thing. You know, simple things where you think they'd not be using a blue or green screen, they, they've used it in this episode. Uh, as well as when we saw the other Time Lord, which we didn't talk about with the hat. Maybe you guys Ooh, think yeah. Let's um, talk about him. Yeah, yes. he, he came in with a green screen or a blue screen and kind of, mm-hmm. uh, I don't, he didn't have a TARDIS. I'm kind of not sure what was going on there. Yeah, or I was, was going invisible. to ask that. What I completely it? forgot about that. I was watching this episode going, wait a minute. <laughs> huh? <laughs> was he Mary Poppins? How did he? <laughs> The first movie. <laughs> the first movie. <laughs> exactly. That's uh, why they call her Scary Poppins. Scary Poppins. <laughs> uh, yeah. So what did you, I mean, well, well, instead of asking, I just, I, why don't I say what I thought? Um, I, I thought that was this person supposed to be one of the people who marooned the doctor or banished the doctor there? But then I thought, well, no, you sound more a little bit like they're sending you to come and tell the doctor A, B, and C. This is, you know, we're just telling you this. Um, I was wondering where his TARDIS was. I was like, are you just yeah. like floating down in an invisible TARDIS or what's your deal? Yeah, it's like changing the rules again. It's like, so the Time Lords can travel through time and space without the machinery. <laughs> okay. I, I think his TARDIS was invisible. That's or maybe he was a projection and wasn't really there at all. Well, that's also possible. He says something like how, how far he's traveled. He says uh, something like 96,000 light years or whatever. But I don't know. I think his TARDIS is invisible. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and I do like how it feels like he's sort of a watcher over mm-hmm. the doctor to make sure he's not – you know, messing up things any worse. He's his <laughs> paroled officer. Well, that's right. That That's exactly the kind of conversation they have. See, you know, you're going to do this. <laughs> oh, yeah. bye. Yeah, right. Michael Wisher was Darrow's, by the way, and lots of Dalek voices along the way in the, mm-hmm. the uh, Virtui era. But, ah, um, interesting. He, he was he was in lots and lots of episodes of Doctor Who. We just always remember him as as Davros, the first Davros, because uh, it's such a great performance. But yeah, here he is as this poor sod who gets. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cruel, you know. Yeah. The, the master just finally his last thing is to get rid of that guy by putting a master mask on him. <laughs> well, I mean, if if, if he would have had his way, he would have blew up the Doctor when um when 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 Joe came back to the. Well, I guess unit to, to, that's it, to open yeah. the bomb. Mm-hmm. Like what? That's that's very terrorist like. Yes. Know? Yeah. Mm. But that's I the master. Know. That's the master. Yes. That is the master. So I say let's go around the room and give our final reviews. And Lee, why don't I start with you? What would you give this? One out of five. What would you give? One out of five. I'm going to give this a solid four, even though I know. 
it's always helpful to think about it as if it was 1971. Um, so you try not to think about the effects that look silly to us now. Um, yeah, I'm still going to give it a 4.5. It's a cracking good story. I'm so, so glad that this is Joe entering the story and, um, um, I, I, and the master is fascinating. So yeah. How about you? All right. I'm going to give it, you know what? I'll give it a 4.52 for the reasons that you just said. I will also add that not only did it give Joe an introduction, the master an introduction, it was a rebranded of, or a rebranding, I should say, of unit that this was the first time they were in their traditional green out fit slash uniforms that they used from then forward. So um, anytime I see the Brigadier, I'm happy. I've always liked his character. (laughs) So yeah, I'll give it a 4.5. Clarence, what about you? I'm going to go to 3.8. I really enjoyed this more than I thought I would. And I love it for all the connections. It resonates even more when we talk about being the first uh, master story, which, you know, I didn't know after watching all four episodes. So, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I, although we may think of some of the special effects as weird now, you know, I could, if I was watching this in what, in the seventies, I would have yeah. thought that was cool, you know? Yeah. So, so I, I look at it at that perspective and yeah, I thought it was well done. And like you said, the performances, um, uh, we were just really good, uh, Mr. Delgado. So I really enjoyed that. So yeah, 3.8. All right. Cool. 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 So why don't we start going around the room one final time and let everyone know where they can be found or we can be found. I'm sure everybody listening knows where they can be found on the internet, but <laughs> where can we be found on the internet? Lee Shackelford, where can people find you? Well, Facebook just informed me that Clarence Brown likes the post for a relativity podcast. <laughs> it's a tomorrow as we record this will air its season finale episode, which I hope will drive our faithful listeners completely crazy saying, oh, what yeah. the hell is going on? <laughs> and only I know what's going on. Yeah. Anyway, and you can find that at relativitypodcast.com. All righty. Clarence Brown, what about you? Where can people find you? You can find me in Tupelo, Mississippi on May 4th and 5th, 2019 at the Tupelo Con convention. Well, maybe that's a, I'm saying it twice. Con is coming. Anyway, Tupelo Con in, uh, which would be at the Tupelo Furniture Market, uh, in Tupelo, Mississippi. Come there. Check us out. We'll be roaming the floors. Yes, indeed. We will. And for anyone listening, if you would also like to hear Clarence Lee and I talk about other things, specifically the Fantastic Four, check out Discussing Comics. You can find that at, guess what, DiscussingComics.com. So thank you for listening. Let us know what you thought about Terror of the Autons. Did you agree with what we're thinking? Send us some feedback. We will play it, of course, on an upcoming episode. So we thank you for listening to episode 151. Make sure you've subscribed and share the show with a friend. Uh, get someone else listening. We would definitely appreciate it. So again, thanks for listening. We will be back next time. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com. Discussing Who is brought to you by Audible.
probably heard of Audible, but just in case, they are the world's leading provider of audiobooks. They have more than 180,000 titles. Let me say that again. 180,000 titles to choose from. Imagine a genre, they've got an audiobook. And these files play on smartphones, Kindles, tablets, in fact, over 500 different devices. Now, for fans of Discussing Who, Audible is offering a free download when you start a new Audible subscription. And you can choose anything at all from that vast library. But we know you want to get one of their absolutely fantastic Doctor Who titles, which include New Adventures of the Doctor, but also Torchwood and River Song. And they're performed for you by actors you know and love. Wonderful voices, Tom Baker, Alex Kingston, David Tennant. The list goes on and on. So try it out for 30 days. And if at the end of the month you decide Audible is not for you, you still get to keep that Doctor Who book you downloaded. So look at it this way. Free Doctor Who book. So here's how you get started. Point your favorite web browser to audibletrial.com slash discussing who. That's audibletrial, all one word, A-U-D-I-B-L-E-T-R-I-A-L dot com slash discussing who. Also one word. And that's how you get your free book. What could be better than that?